Chapter 12 When I got back to the good night sleep tight, the palm tree curtains were closed. When the room was dark, Granny was still in bed. Granny, I said. Said so Granny without moving or removing the covers from her head. Granny! I shouted in a louder voice. I am very tired, Louisiana, said Granny. I am unwell, baffled, and compromised. I would like to sleep. And I said, well, sleep away. I'll be singing at a funeral, and that means we can keep staying in this motel, and you can sleep, sleep, and sleep. Granny moved the tiniest bit. She said, do not bother resenting me, Louisiana. I've always put you first in this world, and I'm trying very hard to protect you. I'm working very, very hard to protect you. It's just that I'm so tired. She said this all without taking her head up from under the covers. Her voice was muffled. It was as if she was talking to me from a very long, long way away. It was as if she had moved to a different country, a country without teeth. I want to go home, I said. Granny threw the covers off her head. It was the first time I'd seen her face to face in what seemed like a long time. She looked different, smaller and less certain. Her mouth was caved in. Her cheeks were flushed. She glared at me. Truthfully, she was somewhat frightening to behold. Louisiana Elefante, she said. We are not going home. I glared at her. She glared at me. I looked away first. I said, I'm hungry. You're always hungry, said Granny in a relieved voice. She put the covers back over her head. Yours is a perpetual, an unceasing hunger. Go and find some food. I'm working to regain my strength. Do not forget the curse, Louisiana. How could I forget the curse? My great-grandfather sawed my great-grandmother in half on the stage in Elthar, Nebraska, and then refused to put her back together again. That's not the kind of thing you forget. It may not be the kind of thing you want to face, but it's also not the kind of thing you want to forget. I left the room and went and stood in the vestibule of the office of Goodnight Sleep Tight. I considered the vending machine. Of course, I was hoping that the boy from the roof would show up and offer to get me whatever I wanted. But I started to think that maybe I'd just imagined the boy. Just as maybe I'd imagined the blue fairy holding out her arms to me the time I almost drowned. Had I imagined the blue fairy? I could not say for certain. Had I imagined the boy? I did not think I had. I knew for a fact that I did not imagine the chromium Clarence, because he had been sitting on top of the goodnight sleep tight sign when I stepped out of the room. Hello, Clarence, I shouted at him. He had nodded and looked down at me in a very kingly way. He was probably pleased that I remembered his name. In any case, the crow was real and the vending machine was real, and I stared at it and thought about what I would get if I could get anything I wanted. I could see Bernice inside the office, sitting at her desk. Her hair was in curlers. What a surprise. I waved at her. She pretended not to see me. And the boy showed up and offered to give me whatever I wanted. I decided that I would select a package of peanut butter crackers, a package of crackers with cheese, and one ballpoint pen, so I could continue to write everything down, and also an O. Henry candy bar, because I like the name of them, how upbeat and hopeful they sound, and also because they have caramel in them, and peanuts, which is also a very good combination. I was thinking all of that when the door to the vestibule opened, and there he was, the boy. Hey, he said. Oh my goodness, I was glad to see him. I was glad even beyond the contents of the vending machine 
and by that I mean I liked his face and I was glad he existed. Even if he couldn't give me the crackers and pen and candy bar. I thought maybe I'd made you up, I said to him. Bah, he said. He stood there, holding the door open, smiling. He nodded in the direction of Bernie's. She don't like me, he said. Any minute now, and she'll be out there with a broom trying to chase me off. Come on. The minute we stepped outside, Clarence came swooping down from the sign and led it on the boy's shoulder. I had never seen such a black and shiny feathers. The crow stared at me, and I stared back at him, and looking into his eyes was like looking into a dark mirror. I felt that if I looked carefully enough, if I held myself still enough, I'd be able to see the whole wide world reflected on that shiny blackness. Almost. What he said on my shoulder, I said. I reckon if he gets to where he trusts you, he would. Clarence flapped his wings and took off past the sign toward the trees. What's your name? I said to the boy. Oh, what's your name? said the boy. Louisiana said, I said. What's yours? Burke. Burke Allen. But I ain't the first Burke Allen. My dad is Burke Allen. His grandpa is Burke Allen. And his daddy before him was Burke Allen. And his daddy too. There have been a lot of Burke Allens. Well, as far as I know, I'm the only Louisiana Elefante. That's lucky, Dan. You ain't got nobody but yourself. I said, I have a curse on my head. I don't know why I said it. I shouldn't have said it. Granny has always insisted that we may not talk about the curse of other people. To speak of the curse and testifies the curse. That is what Granny said. Granny said a lot. For as long as I could remember... Granny had been talking to me, telling me things, and telling me not to tell things. I had never told Raimi about the curse, or Beverly. But here I was telling this boy I did not know it all. Maybe, in addition to being tired of imposturing and preserving, I was also tired of keeping my mouth shut. A curse, said Burke. Dang! Yes, I said. It's a curse of sundering. Of what? Sundering. I don't know what that is. It means to tear apart, I said. All right, he said. If you say so. The point of the good night pipe sign. See that sign, he said. I climb all the way up to the top of that sign. I can show you how to. I'm afraid of heights, I said. Shoot, he said. There ain't nothing to be afraid of. I don't want to fall. You can't fall because there's a little bitty handhold the whole way up. You just gotta hold on and climb. I can show you how to climb up to the roof, too. Ain't nothing to it. No, I said. He waited, and I waited. His almost-not-there hair glinted in the sunlight. Why is your hair so short? He shrugged. My mama cuts all our hair. My daddy, my grandpa, and me. She cuts it all at the same time. So, your mother cuts the hair of Burke Allen. Burke Allen. And Burke Allen? He smiled. Yeah, he said. All of us. My parents are dead. They are trapeze artists. In the circus? No, I said. They had their own show. They were famous. They're called the Flying Elefantes. I want to be in a circus, he said. First chance I get. I'm going to join a circus. Circus trains come through here sometimes. You ever seen a circus train? I shook my head. They're all on it. All of them. The whole circus. Elephants, clowns, giraffes, and trapeze people. Next time that train comes through here, I'm going to hop on it. Can't nobody stop me. He sighed. He looked up at the motel sign. Here he was, right in front of me, and already was telling me how he was going to leave. 
It was the curse of sundering. It would never be free. Suddenly, I felt terrified and also annoyed with Berg Allen. I thought you said you could get me anything I wanted out of the vending machine. I can. Good, I told him. I want cheese crackers, peanut butter crackers, and an O'Henry bar. And also a pen to write with. He grinned at me. I'll be right back, he said. A few minutes later, he came running out of the office, holding two packages of crackers and one O'Henry bar. I didn't get the pen, he said. On account of I didn't have time. Bernice is right behind me, and she ain't happy. Well, Bernice was never happy, was she? Come on, he said. We got to run. I ran with him. We ran into the woods. At some point, Clarence showed up and flew over our heads and cawed and cawed. He was laughing as if somebody had just told him a joke. Clarence had a good sense of humor. I ran with Burke and Clarence, and I forgot about Granny being toothless and diminished. I forgot about Miss Lulu and how badly she played the organ, and how she refused to share her caramels. I forgot that there were no phone listings for Ramey, Clark, or Beverly Kapinski. I forgot that I had to sing at Hazel Elkhorn's funeral. I forgot that I was far from home. I ran. Chapter 13 We sat out in the woods under a tree, and Clarence perched on one of the branches above, his, uh, above us, and his dark feathers shone over us. It was in Elkhorn, Nebraska in 1910, I said. What was? The Burke. The curse, I said. That's where it all began. I ain't never heard of Elkhorn, Nebraska. It was a made-up place. I'm telling you a story that I never told anybody else, I said. If you intend to listen to it, you, you can't doubt everything I said. Otherwise, there's no point in me telling you. I'd eaten the entire package of peanut butter crackers and most of the crackers with cheese. I intended to eat the O. Henry bar for dessert. Dang, you was hungry, said Burke. I'm perpetually hungry. That is what Granny says. I can make you a bologna sandwich if you want, said Burke. My house ain't far from here. Bologna is what they eat in the country home, and the country home is the place of no return. Burke shrugged. I don't know about this country home. Granny's been warning me about the dangers of the country home the whole entire life. Okay, said Burke. All I'm saying is that I can make you a bologna sandwich if you want. One. If you're still hungry. Well, I said. I was still hungry. Come on, said Burke. You could tell me about the elf ears later. Elf ear, it's a place. Elf ear, Nebraska? Yeah, he said. Come on, let's go to my house and make a sandwich. I ate the O. Henry bar while I walked behind Burke through the woods. The candy bar was chocolatey and caramelly, and it was maybe the sweetest and best thing I'd ever eaten in my entire life. I started to feel somewhat hopeful about the universe and my place in it. Even if I was headed off to eat bologna, meat of the country home, food of despair. I love bologna. Burke made me three sandwiches. They had bologna, orange cheese, mayonnaise, and they were on white bread. And he stacked, oh, and he stacked the sandwiches up one on top of the other and put them on a blue plate. And we sat in the dining room at a glass top table and I ate the sandwiches one by one without stopping. Granny had always spoken poorly of bologna, but these bologna sandwiches tasted so good that it was just one more reason for me to doubt Granny and the truth of her utter utterances. And by that, I mean this. If you were the kind of person who lies about something as small as bologna, what would stop me from 
stop you from lying about bigger and more important things. Brooke stared at me while I ate. Dang, you could eat a lot. Granny says I need to keep my strength up, I said. That's your granny? The old lady who never came out of the room on good night? Yes, she recently had all her teeth pulled. She's working to regain her strength. Brooke nodded. From the glass top table in the dining room, I could see over a field into the woods. It was late afternoon, and the light was fading. Sometimes, when the light starts to fade, I get a terrible feeling of loneliness, like maybe I'm the only person in the world. One time I confessed to Granny, and she put... Oh. Wait one second. And she told me that I shouldn't take everything so personally, she said. Louisiana Elefante, the light has been fading since the dawn of time, and it will continue fading a long after we are gone. It has nothing to do with you. Still, it makes me sad when the light goes. Brooke sat across the table from me. There was a sound of clock ticking, and from the outside, I could hear a crow calling. Is that Clarence? I said to Brooke. Yeah, he said. He gets mad when I'm inside the house for too long. He misses me, I reckon. I'm very far from home, I said. Well, all right, said Brooke. Where's home? I'm now going to tell you the story of the curse, I said. Okay, said Burke. I need to tell you this story. Okay, said Burke. I'm listening. It was Elfia, Nebraska, and the year was 1910. My granny was eight years old, and her father was the most elegant and decisive magician who ever lived. Your granddaddy was a magician, said Burke. My great-grandfather, I said, and my great-grandmother. My granny's mother was the magician's assistant. They traveled all over the country and formed magic together. It was like being in a circus, said Burke. It was like being in a magic act, I said. But what matters is that I am telling you about the curse, and the curse began on stage in Elk Nebraska. My great-grandmother pulled my great-grandmother out of a hat, a small hat. He made her appear, and then he made her disappear into the back into the hat, just like a rabbit. Burke was staring at me, listening. He had very blue eyes. What happened next, he said. What happened next was that my great-grandfather uttered the faithful words, I will now saw my lovely wife in half and put her back together again, for I am Hiriam Elefante the Great. That was his name? Hiriam Elefante the Great? What kind of name is that? It was his name, I said. The important thing was the magician's assistant climbed to the box, and Hiriam Elefante nailed the box shut. Then he took a saw. He stopped the box in half. With my great-grandmother in it, she was cut in two, cindered. Do you understand? Burke nodded. Yeah, he said. It was a magic trick. He saw her in half, and then he put her back together again. Well, that is what the audience thought would happen. That is not what everyone anticipated. But it was not what happened. I stared at Burke, and he stared at me. Well, he said. What happened? My great-grandmother saw my great-grandmother in half, and then he walked away. He left my great-grandmother on the stage, saw it in two. He walked into the theater, and Althea kept walking. No one ever saw her again. What about your great-granny? Someone else put her back together again, and then from the audience, who knew some magic? And the two of them ran away together, and my granny was left entirely alone. Dang, said Berg. This is a true story? Of course it's true. What happened to your granny? She got sent to the country home. Or no, a county home. To an orphanage. That is the story of the curse of Sundering.
and how it has been passed down through the generations and has a curse on my head. Well, said Bert, what you gotta do is undo the curse, right? Undo it? I said. How would I do that? I don't know. There's got to be a way. Maybe what you do is go and find another magician to work some magic. Different magic. Now you get pushing back together. Outside somewhere, Clarence called out. Brooke and I sat there and stared at each other. And even though I was filled with crackers and bologna and an L. Henry bar, I felt empty and sad. Could the curse really be undone? I doubted it. I don't think Brooke Allen fully comprehended the death for death of the curse upon my head. I suppose I should go back and check on Granny, I said. Maybe she's hungry. Maybe you can make her a bologna sandwich. All right, said Burke. I didn't know Granny would eat bologna sandwich. In fact, a bologna sandwich might enrage her. Maybe I was hoping to enrage her. I don't know. But in any case, Burke went into the kitchen and came back one minute later with two bologna sandwiches wrapped in a paper towel. I was starting to see the type of person he was. He was the kind of person who, if you asked him for one thing, gave you two instead. We went back outside and stood in front of Brooke's house, which was painted as a pink cotton candy on outside. It was all by itself in the woods, with no other houses nearby. Brooke whistled, and Clarence came flying out of the woods. He landed on Brooke's shoulder, and I thought to myself that life would never be complete until I could whistle and have a crow come flying out of the trees and directly to me. There's going to be a carnival at the church on Saturday, said Bert. Carnival ain't a circus, but it's still something. It's mostly fun. There's rides and games. Oh, I said. You and me go. I need to know something, I said. This is important. What direction is south from here? Bert pointed across that you have to stop and consider. It was very impressive. That way, he said. Why? I turned and looked south. Clarence raised his wings and lowered them, but he stayed on Brooke's shoulder. Why? said Burke again. Because south is where Florida is, he said. So? said Burke. Florida's where I'm from. That's where my friends are. That's where Archie the cat is. That's where Buddy the dog is. And that's where I need to get back to. How do you want him to get there? I don't know, I said. I figured out a way. I am really and resourceful, according to Granny. We started to walk back to the goodnight feet tight. Clarence flew ahead of us, stopping to wait on tree branches, looking down at us and laughing and laughing. Maybe crows are right about the world. Maybe everything is funny.